But you might know, if you've been around machinery, what this tool is. Actually, Wayne Mars is, I think, the only one that could even immediately said what it was. Uh, this was lent to me by uh, David uh, Ragsdale. Those of you who know and you've been here on Sunday to Sundays during this host study in James, I've been bringing in a different tool to confuse you. And they bring it in to me, and then I try to tie it into the sermon, which is nearly impossible. Like most of my sermons don't go together anyway, but now I've got to bring a tool in. But this tool is really a center indicator for a machinist. You would put it on um, the lathe, and you could put it in there and find true center, exact center. And without my bifocals, I think it goes to, what's that go, tenths, one hundredths, one thousandths of, of tolerance or variance. So this little bitty indicator on this side makes a little maneuver thing over there. So you could find center. Now, <clears throat> I, I would never use it because I would say that's good enough right there is center. And we're, we'd go start drilling right there. And that's the way many of us are in our lives. And I wonder today, have you ever found yourself off center? Amen. Yeah, we have. So then the other tool that was brought in to me by the, the A Manor's uh, son-in-law, this came in from Wade. He said, you'll never guess what this is. So you got threads here and a hook and something to spin. I don't know if he made it. I, this one actually has a patent on it, so I didn't see it, but it looks, the welding is really, well, he can weld really good. I don't know. Um, any ideas what this is? A what? Pie cutter? Mm, no. Um, a thingamajig, yes, very good. And I, I don't even know if it has a title other than thingamajig, but what Wade uses it for, he does a lot of uh, repair work for Chick-fil-A. And on their big commercial deep fryers, they have very heavy hinges that have springs on them. And this thing would go in there and you compress the spring or pull the spring and you're able to replace the hinge, get it all together, holding this together to slide a new pin in to put a new hinge on it so that thing doesn't snap off and bite you, if you will. And uh, keeps everything held together. And sometimes we need a tool that would get us centered. And sometimes we need to have the patience to get centered and the patience to keep everything together. And that's what James is calling for us to do this week. Last week you remember that James in the fifth chapter... Um, told us that, actually he warned rich people, and we included ourselves in that category, that if you hoarded God's blessings, if you held God's blessings back, and if you hogged God's blessings, you could be in danger or guilty of causing more pain and suffering to those less blessed or less fortunate than you. And today he rallies his readers to say, stay patient. To persevere, to stay centered, to keep things in place with Christ because his mercy and his goodness flow for those who endure. He who knows how all things come together. So today, we need to hold on in the midst of suffering because a faith that works grows patience. Grows patience. Now, some of you would say, and I had to ask my wife, I thought, did, did I dream this? Aren't there impatient flowers? Yeah. Well, my garden is full of a lot more impatience than it is patience. So if there's anything that needs to grow in my garden, it is patience, not impatience. Because you probably need to pull the impatient things out and plant the patience. But James is always testing the validity of our faith. Because a living faith is a working faith. 
And today we pick up with verse 7, where once again, he uses the phrase that he's been using all along in, in the first part of chapter 5 last week. There, was some, there is debate, not confusion. There's a debate on whether the first few verses of chapter 5 were meant to the church or to the rich lost who might have intended church. And I tried to make it to say it applies to all of us, whether you know the Lord or whether you're still coming to terms and greeting him. We need to be um, investing in others. But today, he says, grow some patience. Verse 7. Be patient. Listen how many times he'll say this. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be, say it, patient. patient. <laughs> That's right. And stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers. Once again, he's using this term that he is, throughout James, he said, beloved brothers. Or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience, so you could say be patient again, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Be patient. Let's pray. Lord, some of us are so impatient we can't wait for what's for lunch. But I thank you for these who have tuned in online and for those who have come in person. Be patient with us for the times in which we have failed to see who you really are, to live out the faith that we claim we have. And help us as we learn to be patient, to remember that Christ is coming again. And whatever sufferings we might find ourselves in the midst of in 2021 or from 2020 and still dealing with that, Lord, your goodness, the hope that we talked about in the harvest of hope is a confidence in your return and the life everlasting. So let us be patient as we wait until your son comes again. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Over and over, I think at least five times, he uses the word macrothuo, not macrothermo. So I was going to rewrite Greek. If I could just apply that. Everybody knows what macro is, right? I mean, we use that in English, micro and macro. Macro is long. And I thought it was going to be like thermo, like in heat and fire, you know, long fire. The thumo, the word in Greek, strictly means anger. And he's saying be patient. In other words, keep a long arm against anger. Postpone anger. Push anger away. Some translations may be, say long-suffering. Now, I don't like the word long-suffering because it sounds like I've got to suffer a long time. But if you've suffered a long time and not brought about revenge or hatred or anger or violence, perhaps that is an okay understanding of what patience is. James is saying, put up with some of the things that you have to do because of your faith in the Lord. He tells his readers to be patient. Hold back your anger. Hold back your violence. Hold back your outburst. Refuse to retaliate with anger for anger as we wait for Christ's return. Now, this section is definitely dedicated to those that are in that first century church. 
who were waiting anxiously for Christ's return. As you know, James, the brother of Jesus, and we can sometimes we'll add half-brother, but he was his brother. He was raised in the same home. He saw what he had done. We told you over and over, if you read James, it's, it repeats many of the Sermon on the Mount statements that his brother had made. And he had been in the presence of his brother, at, according to Acts chapter 1, during his resurrection and his ascension. In fact, it says they go back and they gather and they name the disciples and they say Mary and his brothers. So here is the man writing this book, inspired by God, saying, I know my brother's coming back, but be patient. Be patient. First century, first century Christians were excited that he'd be coming soon. And probably you know about the church in Thessalonica and you've read some of those letters that Paul wrote that people had basically quit their jobs. They had sat on the hillside because they knew Jesus was coming back. Well, they, he, Paul kind of challenges them. You still got to work. You still got to provide income. You still got to eat. But yet this excitement somehow in 2021, we have lost. James says, I know you're suffering, but be patient, my brother, and consider the farmer. And that's our first point today, farmers. Recalling some of our lessons from the Harvest of Hope, that was a study we did last fall. We know that farmers, or at least as I use it and as I think of farmers, anybody here truly up a full-time farmer? Anybody raised by a full-time farmer? Okay, so you, you know their patience and, and their struggles, their hard work, how they're, they're basically meteorologists. I mean, you know, they may know the farmer's almanac, but so much is based on the rain and the seasons. And he's, uh, he's playing into that. The farmer knows when the rain is coming. The farmer knows when to harvest. And the farmer knows the hard work and the toil that it takes to bring about the produce. James says, remember the farmer and use that as your example to be patient in the midst of suffering until Christ's return. Confident to be strong and to be patient. So I've tried to prep you for this. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming again? Well, if you don't, you probably should just go ahead and tune in to your iTunes or go on back to the car. We, we typically can get that answer fairly easy out of Christians. We believe that Christ is coming again. Our failure, though, is the temptation to live our lives thinking it's never really going to happen. At least not in my lifetime. You know, preachers have been preaching he's coming back for 2,000 years. When's he coming? I don't know. Norris just told me in my office today, didn't you say, even Jesus didn't know the exact time and date when he would be coming back. The Father would tell him when to go. But for the modern church, and I include us in that modern church, there's too much, it seems, to give up to truly sing the praises about I'll fly away. We sing those, remember those old hymns? Some, right, you know, I'll fly away. Brenda and I, I told her one day, have I ever said this publicly? We used to sing I Got a Mansion Over the Hilltop. Me playing the guitar and her right beside me in church. And she said, we will never do that again. <laughs> and we haven't. I don't think we've done that probably since about 1986. Yeah. And many churches are very thankful that we haven't done that too. 
But you, you can name song after song about life in heaven and his second coming. But yet, as I said, so many of us are so content. We really don't want to talk about him coming again because we're happy with where we are. We are the rich Christians that he's been talking about in those first six verses. Why give up the level of comfort I've got now to think about giving it up for glory? Oh, my friend. Can you imagine a farmer with no crop? How can you imagine then a Christian who can't think that he's coming again and making the preparations, doing the work, tilling the soil, surviving the droughts, experiencing the floods of life, knowing that he's still coming and his mercy and his compassion are going to flow down. Christians have to claim the name and the faith in action that James talks about. Can you imagine being a farmer and never really knowing what you're trying to grow? This video is true. I mean, I, I just found it this week, but it, I think it's about five years old. But, and it's kind of bad quality, but check this out. These are farmers who have never tasted chocolate, but they grow the cocoa bean. Or the chocolate butter plant. It is a supreme irony that the chocolate bar we take for granted at a price we don't mind paying is rarely seen in the Ivory Coast, even in the capital. There are chips and wafers and cookies and crisps of all types, but there's no chocolate, even though the stuff comes from here. Only 130 kilometers from the capital is the village of Coyadio Yacro. I talked to farmers about what's now a depressingly familiar tale of an impoverished lifestyle. But nothing brings home the inequity of coconomics than farmers who've never seen, let alone tasted, the products that rely on their daily toil. These farmers have been growing beans for decades. They're about to get their first taste of chocolate. You have never tried chocolate? No. It turned out not one person in this group had tasted chocolate. That is your cocoa. I, that was unfathomable that you would, I mean, never have tasted it. And it's unfathomable that you, you would be a Christian and not be working and tilling the land and being patient, preparing for Christ's return, involved in sharing the good news. Because if you've tasted the goodness of Jesus, I guarantee you it's sweeter than chocolate. And the price has already been paid. So... Let's, uh, and it's definitely less fattening, right? Okay. We go from farmers to prophets. James is using examples. He's saying, I know you're suffering. I know you've got hardships, but consider farmers. Now, consider the prophets. And he doesn't name an individual prophet. He just names the grouping of prophets. And Jeremiah stands out in 
most theologians' memories as probably one who suffered quite a bit. You know, he was imprisoned. Um, he was mistreated. Uh, he was uh, stuck in a cistern or a well, if you will, of mud. They had to lower him down, and he was about to starve to death in there. All because he told of God's judgment to the people. Still, it's hard to imagine, just like it's hard to imagine a farmer without a crop, it's hard to imagine a prophet without a word from God. Whether it does comfort or whether it afflicts, the prophet is the one who carries a word from God. Look at me at this verse. All right. I'm going to read back it in 5. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's come. See how the farmer waits for the land, yields its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I'm going to come back to grumbling in just a second. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, I'm at verse 10, who spoke in the name of the Lord. I wonder if our message the word of the Lord that comes from First Baptist Church in Holotus needs the volume to be turned up. I've noticed I have become my father when it comes to TV listening. My dad used to listen to the TV so loud. And you would come in and go, why is it so loud? What do you mean? It's not loud. If you don't like it, get out of here. I mean, he wasn't quite like that, but that's kind of, if you knew my dad, it was his house, you didn't like the, the level of volume, then go somewhere else. And I've become the same way. <laughs> my kids, why is it so loud? If you don't like it, go to another room. It's because you can't hear as well as you used to when you're young. And we need at times to turn up the volume of the gospel message that our church proclaims. You know, the most feedback we've ever gotten since I've been at this church from the city of Holotus, and I mean this feedback is in good and bad, is working on the parking lots that this wise man down here somehow negotiated that they rent from us for like, I don't know, what is it, Norris, like $5 for five years. Basically, they have use of our parking lots, but we also have them come and reseal them for us. So on market days, you'll see people parking in here. It's public parking owned by us. So I've had that interaction with the city. And I've had the interaction when we put up a sign, or actually probably Pierce more than me, and our Hispanic church that put up a sign week to week that didn't have the right sticker on it. You've got to have a little sticker that says it's been approved by the city. But yet, every day around the world, there are 13 Christians. This is according to an article in, of January from Christianity Today. 13 Christians die worldwide daily because of their faith. Twelve churches or their buildings are attacked or destroyed daily. Twelve Christians are arrested or imprisoned, and at least five are abducted daily. This article goes on to say that the top ten countries of Christian persecution, North Korea, Afghanistan, followed by Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, and lists them all down finally to India. In that list, it talks about 309 million Christians living in places where very high or extreme levels of persecution exist. And it's up in 2020 from 2019. Ask yourself, when was the last time you felt persecution like a prophet for sharing the good news? There's a 
biggest persecution we probably have is Satan on our shoulders saying, you're not good enough, or you don't know how to convey the good news to someone else. But like the tools I started with, often we want to cast those things aside that help keep us centered or help keep things together to be the messenger of God. While there's more to that point we could go on and talk about, but the impact of COVID, I believe, has hurt us as a church, as a nation, as a world. How many of you saw the video of the Southwest flight attendant that had a person stand up and beat her up, if you will, knocked out two of her teeth until a fellow passenger got in between them. And I watched some more videos on that this week, and I'm not going to play that. But how people are so impatient. They, the one lady was commenting on that Southwest flight said, we were five minutes. We were already stopped. You know, you know how it is. You've got to take time for that little ding, ding. And then everybody jumps up at the, on the plane to get out. And then you wait five or ten minutes or sometimes longer. It depends on how big the flight is and what they got to do. But the lady said they were five minutes from doing that. And where I was going back to that word, that earlier verse talking about grumbling, I think sometimes the familiarity with one another, the, the gathering together so often, being everybody not having space to get out, has somehow made many of us even more impatient. Are you impatient? I am. Sir? You won't admit it. <laughs> okay, I understand that. Well, I, I just wonder, I mean, have, have you ever, like, slammed a drawer or slammed a door? Put your fist in, I have never put my fist in a wall or my fist through the door, but I know many who have. In fact, to get out of my college dormitory the year I lived in the dorm, I had to pay $800, which was more than the monthly rent because of all the damage that had been done on that floor. So the way the university did it is they split it across all of the occupants of the building. Because, as you can imagine, young men living in a dorm find out they all have hollow doors. Well, I can put my fist through it. There, were, there was a new door almost every day in that, yeah. Brown Hall, if you ever want to go to Southern Illinois University. But there's no doubt that some of us have trouble controlling our temper. I mean, have you ever pulled out in front of somebody in traffic in this town and they extend a warm greeting to you, a hand gesture? No, or, or perhaps I'll put the monkey right back on you. Have you ever extended a warm gesture to someone who has pulled out in front of you? We grumble with each other when we're under stress. When we are hurting, we often bite the hand that is trying to help us. We become like this guy. Oh, I don't know. The Irish cream sounds good, huh? What's that? Uh, it's cream and it's, uh, it's Irish. Hurry up and order! Excuse me. Thank you. Um, how about a smoothie? What's in that? Smoothie's a juice drink. We want coffee. Buddy, relax. No, you relax. I'm a regular here. This line needs to move. I beg your pardon. Do you have scones? Tall, non-fat, double latte. Sir, you're at the back of the line. I recognize that. Cut it out or you're out of here. You can't kick me out. You know what? You're, you're really invading my ear space. Look, I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. Do you have a card? Do you have a card? No, I don't have Does a card. Does anyone here have a card? We don't have frequent drinker cards. That's a video club card. Ah! Zip it there, Sporty Spice. Are we doing this? Oh. Is this happening now? Yeah. Come on, Sorry. I'd love to. Let's do it. Oh, you're hurting me. You're Well, hopefully you don't lose your 
patience. Isn't it funny? I, I, as I thought about this word this week, and I'm sure you've thought about this before me. It's just I'm that slow. We call the people waiting in hospital beds for healing patience. I know it's a different you know, way to apply the word. But is that, that one of those words, Dennis, I was talking to you about? Heteronym, a word that you pronounce the same way but has different meanings or it'd have to be spelled differently. Anyway, that's another story for another day. He and I try to challenge, he always beats me, but we try to challenge each other on words that we've never heard. And that was one that popped up on my phone. But we tell people in hospital beds to be patient and we call them patients. Long-suffering, maybe that's where that goes. If we are to be like the prophets, we must have the word to proclaim and we must be able to proclaim that word loudly to the community and the world in which we live. Finally, James throws out the name of Job. I call him the Olympic gold medalist of suffering and of patience and of perseverance. You know the story, a rich guy, right? So this first few verses of this chapter have been to the rich. He's rich and is still a faithful person. So that's, it is possible then for those of you who have struggled with that. You know, as I, I didn't say this last week, it's been said so many times, you know, money is, is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money is the root of all evil. There are very wealthy people who love to give their money away because they don't love the money. They love the one who's helped bless them to have it. But Job, as you know, he a rich guy, as I said, until Satan gets in the middle of it and says, God, the only reason he's loving you or faithful to you is because of all these things you've done for him. And he basically gets permission from the Lord to bring havoc to Job's life, taking all of his wealth, takes his livestock. I mean, he does it in different little vignettes. He takes eventually all of his children and leaves him with his wife and and then if that's not enough to be, I mean, he still, so he still has his wife and about three friends will come and talk to him. And he gets so physically sick, his body becomes so full of sores, he takes a piece of broken pottery and scrapes on the sores. You know, he's that bad, but yet he never curses the Lord. He does ask the Lord. He, he is questioning why is this happening. He does have some conversations with God, but he never curses God for what has happened to him. He remains faithful. He perseveres in his suffering. The Greek word for perseverance communicates a cheerful completion. Almost like being an Olympic medalist. Or those of you who have run marathons, do you know that if you run most marathons, I've never run one. Let me just stop right there. I'm not built as a marathon runner. I'm built, like I said before, like a Clydesdale, not a thoroughbred. Maybe I'm more like a Shetland pony, kind of short and stubby. But I, I have run two 10K, and I know you do a lot of physical stuff, so you have the benefit of being on the front row too. I've been in two 10K races in the military, and I was the winner in both of those because I was the only guy in my age category. <laughs> and then when we did the 5K halo and pause here at the church, I was a blue medal winner in that one. Why? I was the only guy in my age category. And there was a guy 10 years older than me and finished 10 minutes faster than me. So I, I have that blue medal or blue ribbon medal back in my office, but I'm not as, quite as proud of it as I'd had it when I was his, his age. So. But Job is this guy who takes it all and continues to be faithful to God. I'm trying to say to you to be patient. 
Because I know, as I had this discussion with my wife, I had this discussion with Dan and his son in my office today, because I'm over and over saying, why is it that you can be patient? Well, let me just ask, how many of you are impatient about certain things? Yeah. But how many of you are patient about certain things? Sure you are. I've watched Brenda with this counter-cross sit stuff that she does, even on the airplane or in the car, you know, when it's doing this. And, you know, she's still, you know, now, nowadays she's, you know, got to wear the readers. I, I won't say anything else, you know. But she still does all this. I mean, it's not like she's got the, you know, microscope out yet. But she's doing this, all this sewing stuff. And every once in a while, she'll get one off. I know. Throw a hymnal. If you see a hymnal tossed up here, um, she'll get a line off. And I've watched her not get, I mean, she's maybe a little frustrated, but she'll pull all that thread out. Me, I would have thrown it in the trash and said, this is not getting done today. So I, I, and I realized my own father, he would do some certain things. And my dad was not a very patient person. It didn't, at least we didn't, I didn't think so as a kid, because if you messed up enough really pretty quick, you were done. You're getting in trouble. And I'm somewhat like that with my children. So why am I like that? Well, probably because that's the way my dad treated me. But then I said, why is it that you can be patient with this and not with that? And it's a simple conclusion that you care about this and you love this, so you're patient with it. So the challenge for each one of you, if you cannot learn patience, is to care and love that thing that you can't be patient with or you haven't been patient with. So when somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic and you're tempted to blow on the horn or to flip them off, realize that they're a child of God. And that particular moment you're going to rain down grace and mercy upon them. Or when your child has pushed you beyond what you think are your limitations, know that you love that child more than any hobby, more than any material possession, more than anything. That little baby boy Bennett, he's going to try you someday. Right? Did you try your daddy? Oh, yeah. And you're going to say, I love him and I'm going to be patient with him. I'll give him another chance. We'll, we'll work out some discipline issues. That happens. Absolutely. But we're going to keep going at this because I want to know and see the great glory that's going to happen in this relationship someday. And that's what James's conversation has been all throughout this. Look at this last verse. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Why is he patient with us? Because he cares for us and loves us. Be patient, my brothers and sisters. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, if there's someone here who needs to say, I'm sorry because I haven't been patient with my family, I haven't been patient with myself, I haven't been patient with others, they want to come and just spend some time in prayer. Lord, this is the opportunity for them to do that. If there's someone who's here and they know that they have tried your patience, that they have not forgiven as they have been forgiven, or perhaps have never tasted the sweetness of your love and your forgiveness, and they've never said, I want to ask Christ to live in me. That way I can be an instrument of your love to others. We're challenged, Lord, to be like the farmer, to be like the prophets, 
and to be medalists, in other words, winners of those who have survived and finished the course. Now is the opportunity for us to make things right with you, to get centered, to put things together, to put them in order. You'll hold them in place for us. So I ask you to let your Holy Spirit move in this time of invitation. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.